Father, thank you for this time today, Lord. What What an amazing thing that you're doing in the men and women of this church. Lord, what a blessing. And which has an effect on our children. Lord, I know we're not the, 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 we don't have the, the biggest bands. We don't have any band. We, have, we, we sing hymns. We, we're not, uh, we preach from the word. All these things don't seem to be a, a attractive, Father, for our culture. But we're not trying to be like our culture. We want to be preachers and teachers of your word. And we want to sing things that are doctrinally right. And we want to hear the words more than we want to hear instruments. And it's just, I, I suppose, a reason why we do these things, Father. But we're not a church that is probably going to be a mega church. And that's okay. Father, we have godly men and women in this place who I, I desire that they grow up and in a way that they know you so deeply. They know your word. They love your word. Uh, things like this, that they can fellowship together. And Lord, even would pray that something like this would happen for even the ladies in our church. Father, we have your word, and what a praise it is. As a, as a, continue to preach the Psalm 119. I want us to see the psalmist who desires so much the, the word, but we see, we see in the psalm the, his failures. We see in he, the psalm his, his sometimes he's low, and he just knows that if he has your word, he has everything, Father God. Today, would you get us excited about your word again, Father? If that's not in the heart of some of the people here, if they just don't look at your word as something to be treasured if, or something to be to aspire to or to look at in awe, Father, if you would just create that love for your scriptures in their heart, Lord Jesus, I pray that you do and continue to do a wondrous work in this body. And I thank you for each one of them. Thank you for each one here that you brought here, Father God, to be discipled, to be ministered to, to be encouraged, to be exhorted, to be taught to love you. I ask, Lord, that even the, the things that these men have seen this last week, they've heard, Father God, that you'd keep that fire burning in their heart, Lord God. Oh, Lord Jesus, that our children's children's children would see the love that we have for your scriptures and the love we have for you ask that you'd speak to us through it today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're in Psalm 119, go ahead and turn there. So we get to Daleth, which is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you'll notice the title, if you still have the sheet I gave you, it's, it's about God's, what God's word does in us. It encourages us and it strengthens us. How many have experienced that in your life? I want you to realize too, as we, get, as we go through the psalm, this psalm, the scriptures are more than sufficient for everything you need it for. So let's go ahead and read it. My, my, starting in verse 25, my soul clings to the dust Revive me according to your word. 
I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. You can see there it's been called the word. It's been called the statute, his statutes, his precepts. All those are talking about the word of God. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgment I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. There's another word, judgments, law, testimonies, talking about the word of God. Oh Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. So without God's word, this psalmist is, is telling us a few things that without, this, without God's word, we would first certainly wouldn't have the information we need to be saved, like I said the last three weeks. And really, we ought to join this psalmist in praising God for his wonderful word. One of the things we should be praising him every day for is the scriptures that we have in front of us. Deleth, this is, of course, the fourth section of this psalm. And it really brings out a question. Do we, do we look to God's word when we need strength? Do we need it? Do I go to God's word when I be, need to be encouraged? Is that, is that where I go first to be encouraged or strengthened? Or do I go to my family? Do I go to my friends? Do I go to the TV set? Do I go to candy or drugs or alcohol or whatever the thing may be? Where do I go to get encouraged or strengthened? And the word of God should have its first place there. So in our text, the psalmist is, is making a plea before the Lord. Strengthen me according to what? According to your word, verse 28, he says there. So as it starts out, the psalmist declares that his soul clings to the dust. So it's like saying, my soul is greatly depressed. It, it, it lies, as it were, in the dust of death. Um, ever have a time when you felt like that? Time when it just the burden is so heavy, it's just life is so tough, when I feel like giving up. Anybody ever felt like just giving up? That's a bad place to be, isn't it? Oh, but there's a place to go where we can be encouraged not to give up. There's a place to go where we can be strengthened. When I feel like that, it's to go right to the Word of God. If we would learn to do that. He describes himself as cleaving to the dust. It's really a picture of one who is hugging the ground. You know, he's down on all fours, ready to just quit. I, I can't take any more of this, whatever the psalmist is going through. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's going through. But you've felt that way in some way or other. He's ready to quit, and he feels great despair. So he uses this a strong image to say that he feels near, near to death in this, in this crisis that he's going through. See, dust was a place of death. Dust is a place of mourning. Dust is a place of humiliation. So whatever the cause of his despair, it, it's not a casual or accidental falling to the ground. He didn't trip and fall down. His life has been so heavy on this man's back that he's on his knees. And he just says, Lord, I've had enough. 
I don't even want to live. I don't. I, I can't take anymore. So re- it's 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 an emotional affair of his uh, uh, of his inmost spirit being overwhelmed. I just, Lord, I can't take it. I'm thinking as of putting this together. Why does God allow for such lowly feelings? Why does he allow for that? Why, why are we knit together like that in some ways? You know, where, and there are even believers that, even though they're filled with the Spirit, they seem to camp here all the time. They're always in a place where they're sad more than joyful. You know, I, I, I was thinking, well, Lord, why, why, why does he do that? It may be to test. Well, look at this. Maybe, let's go to five. It's not in your bulletin here. I'm going to add it right now. So Romans 5. Okay, Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. It might be for this. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Maybe you're in the midst of a tribulation of some sort, and God wants to do something in you. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, maybe God wants to produce perseverance in you or patience so he allows for some kind of hardship to come into your life and once you learn the patience or perseverance he wants you to have his character or that attribute a godly character he wants you to look like him of course that character brings about hope and hope is for looking forward into something that's greater than what's here so maybe that's the reason why some people uh, have tribulations or difficult times or they just seem like life is too much. Maybe God is trying to do something in them. Maybe it's James chapter, since we talked about that, maybe it's James chapter 1 in verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Maybe he's testing your faith. It produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, so maybe that's the reason for it. Maybe it may be to test our strength or our character or our faith in the promises of the word or our hope in his mercy or the depth and sincerity of, he, he, of his love. Does he really love me? You know, maybe it's... Uh, even to awaken us to give to bring us to a desire to pray maybe it's something like that like like the psalmist would say in psalm 130 psalm 130 in verse 1 the very first maybe you're like this psalmist here where he says out of the depths i have cried to you lord you o lord so think of the, what that man's going through, that song. Out of the depths, out of the, out of the most inner, innermost being, the, from the bosom, I've cried out to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. The, the psalmist feels much like the one who, or the psalmist who wrote Psalm 44. But in that, in that psalm, if we just take out a couple of verses there, Psalm 44, verses 23 to 26. Follow me over there. Psalm 44. And verses 23, when you get there, 23 to 26. It says, Awake, 
Why do you sleep, O Lord? Ever ask God that? Let me put it this way. Where are you, God? Man, I'm hurting. I can't take anymore. I just can't take the pressure. And Lord, where are you? Why do you sleep? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. Maybe that's where the psalmist is in Psalm 119. But what does he want from God? Look at, look at the text here. Go back to what does he want from God? My soul clings to the dust. What's the next word? Revive me according to your word. That's what he wants. He wants to be revived. Another word for that is quickened. And, and another way to say that is, Lord, I, please make me alive according to your word. Now, if you're not saved, there, there's a great plea for if you're not saved. Lord, help me. I'm dead. Make me alive. And guess what? Our God can do that. Oh, he can do that. Revive, quicken me according to the word. God's word has reviving power. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Sometimes we forget the power and the might in the word of God. I don't know why we listen to so much of the gibberish that comes from the world. When it doesn't do anything except drive you far away from God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. What, what do we know about the, the, the Word of God? The Word of God is living. What does that tell us? It's alive. It's, it's powerful. You know, it has the power to save. It's sharper than any, any two-edged sword, which means a two-edged sword is used for offensive warfare and defensive warfare. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is the, it is the scalpel in the master's hand. And he, this word, can find out sin in your life. It can find out closets that haven't been opened. It can get into your life, that spoken word, and once it does, it will accomplish what he sets it out to do. You will never be the same. That's how powerful the word of God is. That's why when you're, when you're out and you're witnessing the gospel, you're preaching the gospel, you preach the word. Don't give your opinion about it. Don't, it's, people don't get to Christ because of your discussions of religion. You preach the word as if you were reading it off the paper. Because it's this word that changes lives. It's this word that has the, that has the dynamite power behind it. In Psalm 119, our psalm, the psalmist back here in verse 93, says, I will never forget your precepts, or I will never forget your word, for by them you have given me What? What does God's word do? By your word, you've given me life. Some of you say, well, when did he do that? When did he give you life? Well, he, he pronounced it from before, <laughs> before the making of his world, his creation. But you saw it come to fruition the day you 
believe the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1. If you look at John, the gospel of John chapter 6, in verse 33. But again, looking at the power the word has. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's John 6, 33. Or I'm, that's a good verse, but that's not the verse. It is verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are what? Life. Our whole life, actually physically and spiritually, hinge on the word of God. How powerful is his word? What is the one thing that we have that can, boy, when we are depressed or we're down or we're discouraged or we get to the point where I, we can't take anymore, what's the one thing that can revive us? Word. And it's, it's, I guarantee it's almost instantaneous. Instantaneous. We submit ourselves to the word of God. And you know, when you start getting in this word, it starts building you up, building you up, building you up, until you end up from, from, from having your lips on the dirt. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's where he wants you to camp. Psalm 143, this is added. I'm going to add that to your, your bulletin so you can write that in there. Psalm 143, verse 11, to be exact. And of course, the psalmist here says, Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. That should always be even the goal. Lord, it's not necessarily for me, but revive me for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Who's it for? Why would the psalmist here in Psalm 143, which is David, why would he say that? Because it's God's name on the line. Nothing's worse than a Christian that, that, that is out there and, and, and is defeated. The world looks at them and goes, why, do, why would I want that? Why would I want, why would I want that? I'm happier than them. I, I got more to be, Look. Boy, when you see each other weak like that, it's your job to come alongside and pray. It's your job to come alongside. And almost, here, listen to me, brother. Listen to me, sister. Here's a word. I want you to listen to this. Because they might have gotten to the place where they just don't have the strength or the willpower or the desire to read it themselves. Come alongside of them. Say, listen, you know what the word says? And again, that word gets into them when they hear it and it will accomplish what God sets it out to do. So from a low place, the, the, the prayer for, for revival comes from this psalmist. Oh. And the, the prayer for revival comes. The, the psalmist asks for life and vitality to be restored. And he asks that it happen according to the word of God. Not in contrary to the word of God, but according to the word. True revival in the biblical and historical sense comes from a, a sense of spiritual need. All right? And, it, and low, lowliness. And it's marked by a shamed awareness of sin. And an urgency to confess and make things right with God. 
Listen, I don't care if you see revival happening on college campuses. If there's no repentance in it, it's not revival. Okay? You can sing all you want. You can bring mattresses out of the dorm. You can lay them there all night. But singing, folks, is not revival. It might be a product of it, but dead people, when you say, I need revival, you're saying, I'm a dead, I'm dead. Revivals are done for people that need Jesus. Listen to me. They're not done for people who are already alive. You look at all the historical revivals and things that go on, and these things will prove themselves out. Just watch them. College campuses. But you look at all the historical revivals, this comes from a person being brought from a low state of death or despair to they're brought back. And it's, there's repentance involved. As well in the psalm that we're looking at, there is repentance in here. You won't see it yet because we haven't got there. But look at Psalm 119, our psalm, and look at verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Okay, look at, look at a condition here of revival. Take my eyes off of wicked things. No real revival happens if you're still stuck in the world. Right? The, the person that's in despair has to realize, Lord, I don't want to see anything else but your word or you. Take my eyes off this garbage. And the world's filled with it. Verse 107, the, the same psalmist would say, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. You'll see this plea for being revived over and over in this psalm. So when a person is de depressed in spirit and, or they're weak or they're bent towards the ground feeling great despair where death seems to be the best option, what is it that can revive the soul? Again, let me say it, his word, okay? His word. The statement according to your word shows us that God uses the word in bringing revival. Not just emotions. Listen, if there's a revival and there's no repentance, if there's a revival and no word is spoken, there's no revival. Because it is the word of God that revives the soul. A real revival can be measured according to his word. We're in this text. Notice that the psalmist, what he's done in order to be revived. Don't miss this. Go to verse 26. We're making progress. We're on the next verse. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Okay? God's word, he wants to be taught. But look what he says. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Okay? Were these sinful ways? Could be. Were they wandering ways? Could be. Were these faithful ways? Could be. Were they unfaithful ways? Doesn't really tell us, but he says, I have declared my ways is that he told God everything about himself. He told God about everything that's going on in his life. And I'm telling you, if you're down on your hands and knees and you're in the dust and you're about ready to give up, that's the point where you probably were going to confess your heart to him. Lord, I failed you here. 
Lord, I haven't done what you've told me to do. I've, I've been away from your word, maybe. But Lord, the only thing that can bring me back is your word. So revive me. See, I, I, I've declared my ways, I think, is that he told God everything that's going on in his life. He confessed fully and freely before God. His sins, his way of, you know, confession, all my cares, all my fears, all my troubles, all my concerns, in a way of humble petition before God. So can each one of us say, you know, as we sit here and hear this, can we say, in a sense, I have declared my ways to the Lord? Does he know what's going on in your life today? He does because he's sovereign. But does he because you told him? He already knows. Is there pride in our life that we can't even tell God where we think we're failing him? Are we that kind of people where I just can't say it? I think the psalmist got to this place in his life where there's nothing left except to tell God. Look at Psalm 32, verse 5. Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. Now this is David. I think what you're seeing in Psalm 119 is exactly what David's doing here. My iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Praise God he forgives. Amen? All iniquity when it's confessed. And it's not that I have to itemize my sin before God. He knows it. I just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. I trust you as my Savior. He, he, I don't need to itemize my sin. Psalm 119, verse 12, where we are, we've already been. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Here, here's the cry now of the psalmist. Teach me your statutes. I've confessed to you my ways I told you everything about my ways. Now, will you teach me your ways? Because apparently, my ways aren't working. Teach me your ways. I, I've confessed to you how I've often maybe broken your statutes. Will you teach me what I need to know so I won't do that anymore? Now, how many really want to know God? How many really want to know God and his ways and his word? How many really, really in our world today want that? And it's a sad testimony. You can say, um, well, we were picking up our luggage yesterday at Spokane Airport. And one of the pastors that went with us was out of Peaceful Valley, uh, which was Josh Greenslade. I've known him since he was a little baby. Okay. But he's talking to this man about Jesus Christ and the gospel, the whole flight from Burbank all the way to Spokane. It's five and a half hours or something. Okay, They, get, they go down, he's talking to him all the way to the luggage. He gets all the way down there. The guy picks up his bag and goes, just, just want you to know, I don't care about anything you said. That's what he said. And he says, did I get that right? Okay, I don't care about anything you said. He says, Josh goes, well, that's okay. I'll be praying for you. He goes, you do that. Walks away. Sad. Sad to just, not for Josh, sad for the man. 
But here that man could have been made alive and he rejected that opportunity. And he could have said, this could have come out of his mouth, teach me your statutes. Where can I find somebody to teach me what you know? Teach me the word of God. And he could have been pointed, pointed him to that. But that, that, you know, and I expect that from an unbeliever. But my question was when I say, who, how many really want to know God? How many, his ways, his word? And it's so sad, most Christians don't want that. I want that. Talking to somebody, I don't remember who it was while we were down in the house. I said, I said, you know what? I do not understand how people could not want to not want to gather and be around whenever the Bible's open, where church is or fellowship like this. Who in the world would not want that? But folks, we got every excuse not to want that in our life on a daily basis. Oh, I'm too busy. Ah, you know what? I got other things to do. You got one shot at this. One shot. At getting God's word in your life and falling in love with him and his precepts. You got one shot at this and the next generation is watching us and going, they don't care. Why should I? The greatest thing I ever heard was from my grandson who came up to me one day when he was littler and said, Papa, and Papa's a great word, I'm telling you. Every time I see you, Papa, you're reading the Bible. I want him to love my Lord way more than I do. I don't want him to be 25 years old when he picks it up and says, it starts to learn that it was all for him. I want my grandson, my granddaughters to fall in love with him now and have more nuggets than I've ever dug out of here. Oh, Lord. So the psalmist says, make me understand your precepts. He understood that he needed more than just knowledge about God. He needed understanding. How is he going to get there? Look at this. He says, I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the ways of your precept. And so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Lord, let me think about your word all the time. Let me meditate on the wonderful works that it proclaims. You know, back in Psalm 78, verse 4, this psalmist here says, let me back up here, verse 3, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told, I'll back up even farther, I will open my mouth in the parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children telling to, to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. What is our generation doing in order to help the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that? 
We, oh, we can talk about sports, and we can talk about the, the newest TV shows, and we can talk about this and that, but how many of us can talk about the Word of God to our grandchildren and, and maybe, their grand, maybe their children and pass on what God has showed us and taught us? Don't wait for the opportunity. Make the opportunity. Don't wait for them to talk to you. Go to them and talk to them. We are running out of time. If not on the Lord's return, certainly it is that we're getting one day closer to seeing him. And I think in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, that says, if you're going to boast, boast in this, that you, that you know me and you understand me. I don't want them to just know about God. I don't want them to just know him. I want them to understand his ways. I want them to know doctrine. I want them to know the things that are according to the will of God. We often seek answers to questions that we face each day, but how should I live as a husband? How should I live as a father, a wife, a mother, a child? What should I do when I have a difficult place of employment? What role does God desire for me in his kingdom? What, what will happen with me and those I love in the future? And so on and so on. Turning to God's word gives us the answers that we're looking for. Everything in life is answered in this word. I think, you know, Psalm 119, verses 98 to 100 in this psalm. You through your commandments make me wiser, <coughs> wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. I have... <coughs> <clears throat> more understanding than all my teachers. Oh, you want to understand life? You want to understand the things that are going on? Get in the Word and you will understand more than most. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Notice the psalmist, even when we go back in this psalm where we are, the psalmist prays that God would make him to understand the way of his precepts. We need to understand them. We need to understand God's word and, uh, as to how it applies in our lives. And once we have such an understanding, then we'll be able to tell others about it. If I don't understand it myself, if I, it's not working in me, if, I, if I'm not in it and where I can talk about it, please don't talk about it. Because it also implies that you study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. You need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. The psalmist is overtaken with this heaviness in verse 28. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. By the way, that word heaviness there indicates a great burden. And his soul melts or it drops from heaviness. This is a, a burden that is so great that we melt under the pressure. That's what's implied there. Yet God's word, again, can provide strength and comfort in such times if we would just use his word. God's word will bring uh, whatever burden it might be. There's nothing too great in which we cannot find comfort in God's word. The psalmist goes on. Remove from me the way of lying. What do you think this psalmist had a problem with? Lying. 
Anybody here ever lied? If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> All right. And grant me your law graciously. Take my lips and change them from a, what I use them for lying, maybe, and fill me with your word. So what comes off my lips is not lying anymore, but the word of God. I have chosen the way of truth. This is what I want, God. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. Oh, Lord, do not put me to shame. Look at this. Look what he wants now. This is that, you know, he's just so weary that he wants the word of God. He, he, he asked God to remove him from the way of lying and falsehood. What does he want? He wants God to give his word to him with favor, with grace, holding nothing back as if to remove everything that is false and replace it with the truth of your word. Take every false thing out of my life and replace it with what's true. Do you want that? I mean, think, of, think of the desire you, you need for that. Think of the, the separation in your life that this is going to take. The holiness that's going to be involved in this. The sanctification. The things you and I would have to say no to from this day out. What's of more value? The word of God or the world we live in? He says he has chosen the way and laid God's judgments before him as the guide for his life. Truth is the only thing that will faithfully guide us from this life to the next. This is our map. This is our, our uh, road map. It's our instruction book. John 14, 6, Jesus would say of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the rest of it? No one comes. There you go. You guys got different translations, don't you? <laughs> All right. Go to John 8. John 8, 31, 32. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Follows that other verse. If you are abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your, by your truth. Your word is what? There's nothing in here that will lead me astray from God. Every bit of it, every comma, every period, everything in it is true. And it is all sufficient. So this psalmist then back, he says, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments. Lord, if you give me this, I'm going to run the course of your commandments. And you, for you, shall enlarge, look at this, my heart. You enlarge my love for you. You're going to enlarge my love for your word. I pray that that's our prayer when it comes to the word of God. Father God, 
I didn't even cover all the verses there, these folks have in their bulletin. But they can look those up. And But Father, I just, can we leave this place knowing today, Lord, desiring your word like the psalmist did? I pray for these folks, Father. I pray for myself. I pray for our families. Let us love your word. Lord, let us love your word. Teach me your statutes. Make me to understand the ways of your precepts. And Lord, there's some here that need to be revived. Maybe they don't even know you as, as their God, as their Savior. Maybe they have no idea of what I'm talking about. Lord, if there's someone here that needs you today, that is not saved, not born again, does not have the Holy Spirit in them, Lord, I pray today you would, you're already working on their heart. If they're here, you're, they've heard it. Lord, I pray today would be their turning point and they would come to you. If there's sin that needs to be confessed in their lives, Father. If they're like this person, this psalmist who is down just at the, at the end, they feel like there's nothing left, Father. Let them see you. And let them hear and understand your word, Father. Lord, help us to be ones who can say we have chosen the way of truth. And Lord, we have your word laid before us. We want to follow it and do it. Lord, let that be our, our testimony, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name today. Amen.